The Talk Shop. And welcome to the talk shop. I'm Nancy Richards and I'm in for Naledi Moleo, who I believe is off sick, but will surely bounce back again very, very soon, knowing how. So here I am in Cape Town together with Derek Fordyce and in Johannesburg, our team is Sulu Fellow Pello and President Mitshire. And if you'd like to call and join in the conversations, don't forget the number is 0891 And when you want to get your thumbs working, you can also send us an SMS and the number is 34701, 34701. And we'll do our very best to relay your messages, which are important. So hopefully you've enjoyed your long women's weekend and that you will continue to enjoy the focus on women this month. Or not, as Helen Moffat had so explosively said on Facebook without mincing her words in an open letter to the government, she says, take your pathetic, meaningless, mind-blowingly expensive and stomach-churningly patronising Women's Day and cancel it, she says. Cancel the entire idea of Women's Month. Well, I did say that she didn't mince her words, but maybe you've got thoughts on that. It's certainly something to think about, but you may have thoughts, and if you'd like to share them, do please do, notwithstanding those negative sentiments about uh, Women's Day, Women's Month. It is nonetheless an opportunity to look at human rights and wrongs as they affect women, all women here in South Africa. And we're going to be doing just that very thing with the first item on the menu tonight. We're going to be hearing from Mosaic. Well, Mosaic, as you possibly know, is an NGO that focuses their attention on the prevention and reduction of abuse and domestic violence, particularly where it affects women and youth in disadvantaged communities. In fact, their report reminds us that on average, three women are killed each and every day here in South Africa by an intimate partner. Well, we're going to be looking at that statistic and we're going to be looking at whether or not we're doing anything about it for ourselves. Are we seeking help? Are perpetrators are seeking help? And are the, as it were, victims seeking help? And it seems they could be. We'll be talking to Mofaro Magidi, who's a social worker and program manager, as well as Liesl King, who's a social service manager, both of them with Mosaic. So that's our first item. Then just after the 7.30, we're going to be looking at issues facing rather younger people, boys, girls, learners, and what's been done to help them with their studies by Marsh Africa. And Marsh Africa are global insurance brokers and risk managers, but they, what they've been doing is supplying one school in particular with desk bags. Well, what's a desk bag, you might ask. We're going to be finding out what exactly a desk bag is and why they've been handing out. We'll be talking to MD of Marsh Risk Consulting, Volker von Fierden. Then after the news at eight, a subject often associated with the schoolroom, in fact, but apparently in no way confined to it because bullying in the workplace, even in the boardroom, apparently is rife. Well, with thoughts on that, we'll be talking to August Gusti Kutzer, who is the Director of Executive Search at Talent Africa, and he's written a very interesting piece analysing the incidents of, of bullying in the workplace and its effect. And then finally, well, as part of their lecture series on science for society, the National Research Foundation will have a lecture coming up this Thursday. It's happening at the University of Pretoria, and it's called Biotechnology, Productive Forest Plantations as a Possible Answer to Our Energy and Material Needs. Well, that sounds very interesting. So that will be uh, something we'll be looking at around about, probably around about half past eight, twenty to nine. And don't forget that when she's better, now Lady Malaya will actually be broadcasting live from the university covering that particular subject. So it'll be interesting to find out a little bit more, a little bit more in depth. So that's the lineup, or should I say the starting points, because what's really important on the talk shop is to hear what you have to say. So if you've got something to say, if any of those uh, subjects have uh, got to you, do stay tuned and do give us a call. The number is 0891-104-207, 0891-104-207. Let's talk. 
Well, it's Women's Month, I certainly don't need to remind you of that. But during Women's Month, Mosaic, who is a, a domestic violence pre- uh, prevention NGO, would like to remind South Africans that they really need to know their rights. They need to know what their vulnerabilities are, what their issues are, and that they, in every case, they should try to get help, whether they're a perpetrator or whether they're a victim. Uh, and it seems that not only should they be doing that, but it seems that they are. Mosaic has been going, I think, for jolly nearly 20 years, so they certainly would know what those statistics look like, whether they're getting better, whether they're getting worse. But one of the things that they do say, and I always think these statistics are absolutely shocking, that right here in South Africa, three women a day on average are killed by an intimate partner, and rape rates are amongst the highest in the world, something that we so are not proud of. So what can be done, what is being done, is, and are the tables turning? Are people finally beginning to realise that they, this can be prevented, they can do something about it, whether uh, they're either a perpetrator or a victim? Well, we have on the line, we have two people on the line. First, we have Mofaro Magidi, who is a social worker, programme manager at Mosaic. Hi, Mofaro. Hi, good evening. Nice to have you with us. Thanks very much. I'm hoping that you've got some good. I'm hoping you've got some good news for us, but we'll we'll unpack all that in just a minute. We've also got uh, Lidl King, social services manager at Mosaic. Hi, Lidl. Hi there. Nice to have you with us. Thanks very much. Well, Farah, I'm going to start with you because you are a program manager, so that you've got your hands <coughs> on all the issues. Um, let's just sort of paint a picture of how the what the situation is at the moment. You know, we hear so much about domestic violence. Uh, rape statistics, terrible. What are the statistics yeah. looking like at this moment in time? I don't know how long you've been with Mosaic, but certainly the organisation's been going for a long time. What do you think? Okay, so, okay, so the organisation has been in service for nearly 22 years now. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's, it's not a fiber organisation. There's been a lot of work done towards sexual violence, domestic violence, and gender-based violence. And the reality is, too, we're still getting high numbers of reported cases of domestic violence, uh, gender-based violence, and sexual violence. Um, but then again, the high numbers do not necessarily suggest that or these are the only cases being reported. They actually tell us that um, more and more cases are not being reported. So still, statistically speaking, um, the statistics are quite high. We've seen an increase in the number of rapes. There's uh, rape cases reported annually, for instance. Um, but then we continue to offer educational support services, but looking also towards preventative work in terms of trying to minimize these statistics. So the programs have been more of, uh, you know, rendering services after to victims, but we're looking towards preventative work, and through that we're hoping that the statistics will decline in terms of cases reported, but then also encouraging people to come out and report more. Yes, yes, it always seems like the wrong way around, you know, to, to help the victims after the event. You know, it needs to be, as you quite rightly yeah. say, um, prevented before it even starts. Then the high, number of, yeah. the high numbers, the amount of cases being reported, I mean, in 20 years, it has to be said our population has also increased. Is it, is it yeah. in line sure. with that, sure. or, or is that just, you know, fogging the issue? Well, well it's, 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 it's quite a number of factors, really. So the population one, for instance, is quite true. You'd find that many more societies are moving to urban areas, which has also increased the number of crimes committed in urban uh, societies. But then also the other factors that are contributing. So, you know, if you look at economic abuse, for instance, it has increased not necessarily, you know, due to population increase, but because of high demand and high influx of financial constraints on people, and through that you've also seen an increase in substance abuse, which has subsequently led to an increase in 
domestic violence or in terms of physical abuse. So it's, it's in, the, the interconnected and the factors are, are, are one and too many to, to mention, in fact. Yeah. Yes, it's quite difficult. I don't think we can really sit here and sort of pinpoint any one particular reason. Yeah. Um, well, it's a number yeah. of factors, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm which makes it even more difficult to unpack it and solve the problem. Legal Social Services Manager, so you're there at Mosaic um, trying, to put, trying to offer the services that will help. Just give us an idea of the sort of work that you do. Okay, social services encompasses counselling as well as what Musada said. We try to do a lot of preventative work by planning workshops, um, specifically with the youth because we feel that if the youth are empowered, they are able to make better choices. Mm. So our emphasis is really around assertiveness <coughs> and awareness and really looking around educating people about the different forms of abuse because sometimes people don't fully realize that they actually are a victim of some form of abuse. Uh, most people normally just associate abuse as physical abuse. So once we unpack it with them, many realize that they've been verbally abused, economically abused, or emotionally abused for quite a long time and was obliviously unaware that this was happening really that intently within the relationship. You know, those are very, I mean, it's, it's wonderful that you're working particularly with the youth, particularly I, I think the focus of your attention is in disadvantaged areas or disadvantaged communities. But those are very complex issues for young people. Mm-hmm. At what age do you go into a school and try, or, or work with, not necessarily in a school, but at what age, what sort of age group are you targeting? Um, we essentially really look at young adults. We, we, we don't really go into the schools because curriculum does cover an aspect of um, gender-based violence within the life orientation program. Um, and we know that that's a bit too much information for them to absorb at that time. So we really work with um, specifically young women, young young women, young men, and it's normally between the ages of 18 to about 25. So most of the women that we've worked with in the past, unfortunately, have been high school dropouts or within an intimate relationship, perhaps has a child that they need to see to um, also being exposed to some form of domestic violence and so that is the basic target group that we work with within the various communities. So you know when you say workshops it implies a certain amount of education you're trying to sort of explain to these young people that these are the possible issues but it almost sounds rather as if I mean given we know that the rate statistics are very high particularly amongst uh, young adults it almost seems like these should be perhaps group counselling sessions. I'm sure each and every one of these young people have got experiences that they can bring to the table. Yes, essentially um, what we normally do is we would recruit um, either from a client base or um, normally it's it's advertised by word of mouth. Uh, We will find that many of um, the young women, for example, who attend our workshop would then enter counselling with us. So it's it's ongoing and seen also as a supportive manner in which they can become informed and make a positive choices to actually improve their lifestyles. Yes, um, and, and hopefully they are. Um, you know, if, if I can just come back to you, Mofaro, I suppose the big difference here yeah. is that, you know, a lot of emphasis has been put on the victim, how to help her, how to support her if she has been abused and so on and so forth. But it yeah. always feels yeah. as if more emphasis should be put on the perpetrators. 
to understand where they're yeah. coming from, what their issues are that are causing these. What, what specific programs have we got in that regard? Okay, so in Mosaic, currently we have a dedicated program that's working specifically with perpetrators, and that's through our main care plus program. And it's basically engaging, you know, um, young men and boys as well in this fight against uh, domestic violence, gender-based violence, and sexual violence. And it came from the realization, like you said, you know, we would offer all the necessary support services to the victim, but then we release them back into that same setting without actually offering the services to the perpetrator. And again, this is done with, through the social service program as well, which is run by Lisa, where we again, you know, take female perpetrators through a program of working through them. So we, we encourage a lot of the times, if a client reports to the office, that we also include the partner who is the perpetrator in the equation, because then you, you sort of tackle both sides. Because you're quite right, programs in the past have looked at towards, you know, how do we help out a, a survivor of domestic violence? And the programs have been tailored towards that. But then at Mosaic, we, we now have dedicated programs and dedicated staff that go through the process. You know, for instance, we have um, a toolkit for men, which is a counseling toolkit, a, a counseling book, which we use to engage men and young boys in the fight against domestic violence. And then through that, we also get men coming back saying, I want to champion against domestic violence. I want to be, you know, mm. they they impacting uh, other men through the program. So it's, it's it's a very, you know, positive program which we're running, and uh, it's a, it has yielded quite positive results so far, and we continue to carry it out throughout our communities. That's really good to hear. I think, I think you actually have a number of very positive stories which we're going to hear in just a minute. Yeah. We're talking to Mafaro Magidi and uh, Lidl King, both of whom are with Mosaic, an NGO who for the last 22 years, in fact, have been focusing on preventing and reducing abuse and domestic violence. But maybe you've got some thoughts on what we can do. Maybe you've got some, uh, maybe you have some experience and, and how it's worked for you that you have risen over, risen above, whether it's either as a perpetrator or a victim. So share your experiences, share your thoughts. Uh, maybe you've been through the, one of the Mosaic programs. Let us know. The number is 0891-104-207, 0891-104-207. Or you can send us an SMS, 34701. There's nothing we love sharing more than knowledge. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. If you're listening to the talk shop here on SAFM, we're talking to... Two people who are with the NGO Mosaic who are focused all their attention on preventing, uh, preventing and reducing the levels of domestic violence that we have in this country, Mofaro Magidi and Liesl King. Mofaro, it said that there is some good news. I'm just reading through your report in there, uh, in which it says that men too are working to change the patriarchy in themselves and in others, showing that support systems such as counselling are being accessed. And we also quote here in your piece Primrose Tetiano, who is a social auxiliary worker. She's been working with Mosaic for a couple of, uh, nearly two decades. She says that the big change she is seeing, that men are now admitting that they are abusive and asking for help. Are they really? That's true. Yeah, um, well, they are coming back to abuse. And I think in the past, the, the forms of abuse were not clearly defined. And not just in the past, but currently, you know, many people do not quite understand what abuse is until it has been described to them, you know, and stated to them, and then they've been shown exactly how it is that they're abusing their partners or how it is that they're being abused. So when you look at things like economic abuse or financial abuse, those people are mainly... Um, 
away and familiar with things like your sexual and your physical abuse. But then through engaging this man, you actually get them to a point where they realize that demeaning a partner and name-calling and, you know, those type of things are in fact abusive towards the partners. And through that, they get to realize. So it's a very educational part, a very transformative part where they go through this behavior change and they come into the program as intimate partners that are abusing their their spouses or wives Mm -hmm. and then through the program we see that change and then they actually get to acknowledge to say yes this I've done this I've done and through that process you know we see the change where men are acknowledging that they have been abusive in the past you say that they realize, do they? I, I mean, I'm not doubting it. I, you can obviously hear the doubt in my voice. But, yeah. I mean, what makes a man realize it? The fact that his, he, you know, his, his wife has had to go to the hospital, you know, more times than she should do, that she's walked out on him. I mean, what, what is the trigger point that causes a man to think, you, I need help? Well, for us, what we've done, we've taken it from the standpoint of usually when the when the other partner or the spouse reports the cases and then the men are brought into the program. And through this behavior transformation process which they go through the program, they get to that point of realizing that their actions are destructive towards their partners, their actions are destructive towards their families and children. And through that process, you know, we get we see transformation in them coming. Maybe realizing is not the most appropriate way, but they get to transform and, you know, change their ways and acknowledge that they are, in fact, being abusive towards their partners. Does, does peer pressure work? Liesl, I'm not sure if this is a question for you. I'm not sure if this is part of the program that you're working with. But, you know, I can imagine that there would be a man who is perhaps abusive in one way or another towards his wife who would just be cross with his wife if she were to go and report it. But if perhaps his buddy said to him, would it say something, you know, hey, you know, what's going on? Would would he take more notice of that? Um, I think, Andrea, it, it, it does depend on the individual. But mm. We have seen a few cases where peer pressure has been very positive, especially when um, a partner has actually realized that they needed to make the change because they had so much more to lose and then actually engaged in couple counseling and maybe became involved with a mental class program. I mean, through their own experiences, would encourage others, and actually, now that they can fully identify the different forms of abuse, then highlight to their friends, you know, what they're actually doing, because many of them don't realize how they're perhaps demeaning their partner and what an impact it makes on the individual as well as the family members. Yeah. And hence, um, you know, through their own experiences, <clears throat> that firsthand and in chatting to each other man to man, um, I'm thinking of a couple of cases that I've been involved with um, that has come to the fore where they actually really come forward and then realize that, hey, I'm not alone. It's okay. Um, there is help available and it's up to me. Yeah. Difficult to come forward. It's a bit like, because it, it's quite shameful. Uh, I suppose it's a yeah. little bit like being an alcoholic. You know, hello, my name's Fred and I'm an, aqua- I'm an alcoholic. Hello, my name's Fred and I'm a wife beater. I mean, that's yeah. a really difficult thing, isn't it? It's it's exactly, but I, I think yeah. what's important also is that each individual has their own rock bottom. And I think at times when in somebody reaches their rock bottom within the relationship, they come to the realization that they need to make their change if they want to maintain the relationship. So that does also play a part. 
and it is embarrassing, but I know that yeah. the outcome would be very positive. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's going to take an understanding wife or, um, or an understanding partner who's going to stay with him and help him through it all. Mm. Very, very, very sensitive. Well, for a, you know, even making that first move, even picking up the phone or walking through the door of Mosaic in itself yeah. must be quite right. difficult. How do you soft, I mean, I'm talking specifically about perpetrators here. How do you make it easier for them if, if a man feels maybe... Um, he could be a, an abuser. What should he do? Yeah. Well, they can contact us directly at Mosaic. And like I said, we have a dedicated team that's built specifically to deal with the program. So they've been trained and they know how best to engage with men when coming mm-hmm. through the program. Uh, because when you look at it, the domestic violence has been mainly focusing on women as service users. But then this shift also requires that we shift our mindset and so there are dedicated people that are there to address the needs of men, and they understand in terms of communicating the language, maintaining still that need to, you know, to keep the men's integrity, and for them to make the use of the services freely without fear of being undermined or their patriarchy being taken away, so to say, in terms of their power as men is to maintain them and address them are well trained in, in how to address and engage with men as perpetrators in the society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's certainly the case that some men will change, some will, men will address the patriarchy in themselves and do something about it, and That's some men true. will never change. And the, the age-old cry that we hear is, you know, if a woman feels she's being abused, she just should not wait until something really awful happens. You know, how do you yeah. know when the time is right to walk out and maybe he'll change his ways then. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the problem, really, and that's why we keep pushing through these educational programs that we do. So we do, like Lisa has mentioned, we do a series of workshops in communities, and people can even call us up to say, you know, come do a workshop in the community, and we will be there. Mm. We do public awareness events where we just go into a community. We do an event with local stakeholders, and through that also involving your churches, your community leaders, and all other players in the fight against domestic violence in saying that people should come forward and report these cases before it's too late. Two things before, before I let you go. Are you national? Are you, are you available or Mosaic branches available all over the country? Okay, so currently our head office is in Cape Town, but then uh, our court support program is national. And then our other programs currently are just running from the Western Cape. And the other question is, who funds you? You know, I, was, I don't know if you heard me saying, I was quoting Helen Moffat, who is um, a very outspoken feminist down here, and she was saying, you know, Women's Day does absolutely nothing, and it would be better if all that money that's spent on, you know, celebrating women were actually to go to people like rape crisis, people like yourselves. Who funds Mosaic? Yeah. Well, funding is a very, you know, sensitive subject because yeah. we are funder dependent and we do, you know, require more funding for our services to run. Uh, currently, we are getting support from the Department of Social Development and other partners like uh, your VPUU, which is Violence Prevention, Drugs and Upgrading, which we're working with the city of Cape Town, and then uh, a few international funders. But then, you know, funding is, is like a basic need for us. We mm. need more funding to sustain these programs. We have wonderful programs, wonderful ideas that we need to put on the table, but sometimes we held back in implementing because of a lack of funding. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Well, yeah. okay, let's, let, let's take two things then. Let's take your website, if anybody's able to fund or do something about it and help, or, or perhaps even volunteer. Give sure. us your website and then give us the call number if anybody would like help. Okay, so for our website, it's www.mosaic.org.za. That's Mosaic, M-O-S-A-I-C. And then for our telephone number, people can get us on 021-761-7585. So that's 021-761-7585. Is that 24-hour? No, the 24-hour line, if people do need to call in, it's 0800-150-150. I'm going to repeat all of the above. Mufaro Magidi, thank you very much. Mufaro is social worker. He's a program manager at Mosaic. And Lethal King, thanks very much. Enjoy the rest of Women's Month. Okay. Take care. Thank you thanks. for having us. It's a pleasure. Yes, Lethal fine. King, social services manager at Mosaic, and they really do wonderful work. If you'd like to find out more, do check their site, which is mosaic, M-O-S-A-I-C dot C-O dot Z-A. Give them a call. Office hours 021 or their hotline, which I think is 24 hours, is 0800-150-150. 0800-150-150. Show's so good, we won't blame you if you can't pick a favor. Can't pick a favor. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Well, right here on South Africa's news and information leader, it's the talk shop. I'm Nancy Richards in for Now Lady. Nelson Mandela once said that education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. Well, Marsh Africa, who are a global insurance broking and risk management organization that uh, find industry-specific solutions to manage risk, but they're very much in agreement, it seems, with Madiba about the importance of education. Their vision is to see schools perform with excellence and contribute to an environment in which young people transition into their post-school lives equipped for the challenges ahead. Well, couldn't agree with them more. Education has just got to be everything. Well, what Marsh Africa have been doing, however, to put their money where their mouths are, they've been handing out uh, desk bags. And on the 29th of July, they donated 590 desk bags to all the children at the Sefer King Primary School. Well, we have on the line, tell us a little bit more about it. We have Volker von Vidden. He is the MD of Marsh Risk Consulting. We've got him on the line. Hi, Volker. Hi there. Good to talk to you. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, you know, but let's get this cleared up first and foremost. I'm thinking now you're a risk management or, uh, organization. What is your involvement? I mean, apart from sort of believing in the ethic of education, in, in what way are you involved in education? Uh, Marsh as a business and Marsh Risk Consulting in particular has a very big footprint in education and training in our client base because that's uh, the skills part of operating well, optimizing performance, minimizing accidents, health events, and building awareness around regulatory and, and, and legal issues. So education is needed right across the workforce. And then at the primary level in our, our CSI area, we're very, very keen to be involved in schools and the development of the primary resources in education because it's a key need in South Africa. So you can offer them support, but in this case, I think you've, you've opted to offer them something concrete that they can actually use. Absolutely. I mean, we're delighted to, to, to find this opportunity to support uh, the Sefi King School, um, and so we sponsored the, 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 the bags. And we know that we're delighted that it's also a made in South Africa invention. So, you know, we're sponsoring employment to local demand and we look out for, for other opportunities. We do something else, um, uh, in, in the same area, which is called Booster School, where we're trying to find resources that we can, 
link with and, and enhance the the, the uh, resources, the technical uh, abilities, and all the rest of those that are brought into the schooling environment to elevate the educational opportunities for, for children. Hmm. So many schools need a boost, don't they? I believe that apparently 3.1 million pupils are without the fundamental necessity of a school desk. That's just a school desk, never mind toilets and all the other things that they need. Booster school, you can tell us a little bit more about that. We're talking to, we're talking to uh, Volker von Vinden. He's with Marsh Risk Consulting, who have a very big interest in investing in education. But maybe there's a school near you that perhaps needs something, or perhaps somebody that you know is doing something else to help with schools, give us a call. The number is 0891-104-207, 0891-104-207, or pop us an SMS on 34701. So Volker, Booster School, can you tell us a little bit more about that as well before we get on to desk bags? Um, yes, well, broadly, that um, the initiative is to um, find ways in which we can bring the needed resources and with respect, obviously, to what the school bodies and, and the, the organizations are doing themselves uh, to complement and add to the resources that will elevate the level of tuition and the, the particular skill sets that are needed at each of the schools. So it's a, uh, first of all, it's a communication network, uh, an environment of, of needs assessment, um, and uh, we've, we've collaborated with uh, a lot of parties like the CSAR and other research donors and technical environments um, to see what we can, uh, uh, you know, collaborate and identify other skills that can be brought in. So it may not be additional teachers, teachers per se, but it could be access to research libraries, um, you know, projects, uh, help with material that the students can go and get um, access to other resources to complete the educational assignments, um, wherever these needs may be. And, yeah. and uh, very often uh, the schools that, that are not as well-funded or coming off very low basis don't have those additional resources to go and, 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 and connect with the outside world and complement the education activities. Yeah. Just coming back to the issue of, you know, this is not your core business. You're, you're into risk management and all sorts of other things. Mm. Uh, do, you know, to what extent, I mean, you're the MD, you know, to what extent do you personally focus on this? Or do you have a CSI division who handles this, looks for opportunities? How, how does it work? I'm, I'm one of the MDs that, you know, I run the risk consulting team, which I'm mm. very happy to, to be part of. Um, our personal commitment is to make a difference in South Africa and to find direct ways of, of interacting. So uh, just another example is that we adopt some panel shops because in insurance, obviously, motor insurance is, is another one of those. So there in the panel shops, and I'm coming now to the CSI point, I'm part of a committee where we're really trying to um, improve our contribution to enhancing supplier performance. So let's say we adopted a panel shop that also may need education, training, uh, risk management from our teams, uh, assistance with procurement, perhaps financial planning elements, perhaps balance sheet management and the like. So all of them have a, a contribution where we're trying to make the panel shop and all the, the area that we're touching more sustainable, better off, so that we're leaving those suppliers better off, you know, afterwards than mm-hmm. when we entered the, in the first place. Do you invite all your staff to participate in what in any way or is it sort of you know well that's the CSI department throw money at the problem or or does everybody get involved as far as possible as many people as um, you know when we go to the schools it'll be a case of making it part of our CSI plans we spend the whole of Mandela day at these schools we we try and bring along you know a lot of the uh, collaborative um, donations help toys many things people go along and refurbish those environments 
uh, clean up, paint, bring spares, fix things on site. So we all spend uh, a good part of the Mandela Day on site doing those. And then we obviously go back and connect and see how else we can help. Yeah. So if it's constant donations of textbooks or toys or papers, we'll, we'll maintain that, that connection with those schools and try and uh, you know, maintain those relationships at the same time. Well, well done for spotting the desk bags because they seem like a very innovative idea and on top of that they're eco-friendly, which is or even better. Can you just describe them to us? What do they look like? Well, uh, sure. So if you imagine a, a square satchel with a, a, um, a strap, then the lid of the satchel is, is the stiff part of the plastic. The whole satchel is made in, in, uh, with recycled material and has a reflective outer. So, you know, it's, it's a safety banner as well. So what will happen is that if the, the, the flap of the satchel will then fold backwards and then lie your, on your knee or your lap, and that's, that acts as the, the, the base and then you still have the front of the satchel hanging over the front of your knees, and that's where your books are or whatever you're carrying inside it. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's just the stiffness of it allows you to either work with it opened on your knee, or if it's closed, just put it on your cross legs and you're sitting on the ground, and you can write on it while you've got your books underneath you. And it's waterproof as well, so, you know, whatever happens, it can be laying on the ground, you know, it could be the grass that's a bit uh, moist or something, and you can lie on it and write, whereas most books would be soaked with uh, the moisture mm. in, in, on the ground. Hmm. You might need a little bit of education on how to actually use them. How did you come across them? Who makes them? And, you know, where, 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 how did you make all these connections? Um, we look around them for, uh, you know, in, in, in many cases, we, we, we try and find these uh, providers we uh, so we're looking in, in the school's environment uh, to, to many of these suppliers. So I'm not sure how, exactly how we, we found a specific um, a supplier, but we, we're very happy to deal with the, the, the bags um, manufacturer, Ms. Rocha, um, and it is a South African business, uh, and, you know, we're supporting her in, the, in this initiative. So we're very pleased to have been able to find this, and, and we obviously didn't, we're happy that to give her the publicity and, and hope that many other schools get the benefit of these uh, bags and that the children do well out of them. Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to say, what about the little recipients? I mean, how have they been received? Always nice to get something uh, new, well, but know, do they, do I they mean, get on, it? On, yeah, on, on the day that we were um, at the, um, you know, the school, it was a very happy day. Uh, we also brought along some of the Lions rugby players, and we tried to make a bit of a party and a festival out of it. And also to give them, you know, a little bit of the, the spirit of the occasion and so forth. Um, so just to, to give you a, just further information, the company is called Desk Bags, mm-hmm. and it's run by a lady called Madeleine Rocher, and it's been since running since 2012. Um, so, yeah, you know, the, obviously if they get more support from other corporates, we couldn't be happier. Yeah, absolutely. So you donated 590 at, to Suffolk Primary School. Is, is that the, the total number of children there at the school? Yes. So we'll, we'll continue to look for these opportunities. Um, they have a inverted commas lifetime guarantee. They're very hardy and they shouldn't, you know, um, rust or corrode or anything like that. And that is the full complement of the students that are there. And we'll look at it. You know, obviously there's turnover and other things like that with the students we'll like to help out. Or perhaps there's another school where we can create a similar initiative in the near future. Yeah. It's, it's a case of where to start, really, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, the desks are one thing. I imagine many of them perhaps don't have chairs as well. I mean, do you personally go? Did you personally go along to the primary school and hand them out? Did you see I what's... I was actually... 
part of the country at that time, but mm-hmm. I was very well aware of all of our initiatives. And as I said, I'm on the supplier development committee of March, so we do try and be you know, specifically involved. And I think I've seen a lot of our pictures where we had dozens of our colleagues at the school doing the launch, being in touch with the colleagues there. And so, we, as I said, we do want to spend personal time in each of these environments and, and form those relationships. Just, just standing back a bit, looking at the even bigger picture here, I mean, it's a wonderful thing that you're doing, and one sort of feels that well, most big companies do have a CSI division, and maybe that's, you know, something that uh, you can sort of set an example, and other companies, great or small, can be doing something similar. But, but on a personal level, do you think this is the way forward with education? It's, it, do we all have to sort of help out to make our education system work? I, I really think so. Um, one can't ignore the, you know, the need. Um, there, there may be lots of reasons why people believe that you know, it is, is or, as great or as little as it should be, but the need is the need, and, and, and it's incredible you know, when one sees the impact on, that one makes at you know, providing these, these durable um, you know, uh, elements to people's lives that, that it really makes a difference. Um, and you know, we each have our personal stories to tell, but you know, some of us came from a, a more privileged environment where education was almost automatic. And when one sees what difference it makes to give someone at least to incrementally improve education, one's really making an impact on someone's, someone else's life, and I think we all should be thinking about that. Yeah, doing our bit, whatever it may be. I suppose it's, you know, it's also sort of one would like to see some involvement from the parents as well. Any feedback at all you know, from, the, from the school, I mean, the, apart from the smiles on the children's faces? Any other feedback? Uh, we haven't measured it. I mean, obviously delighted in the months thereafter and so forth. Um, and, and one would expect that things like the durability of the books, the you know less lost books, less damage to the books, higher quality of homework, higher quality of work done, you know marks should improve. Um, you know that kind of element of, of tracking the, the upside we haven't formalised. Um, obviously we look forward to that kind of benefit coming through. Um, but you know we would probably check in and say we, we trust that that there's a little bit of a benefit that we've been able to contribute. Obviously, the teachers and the attention and the management of the school is a critical part of the rest of it. But we aren't going to take, you know, the, 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 big, the credit for a 5% increase in pass rates, but there, there should be some benefit in terms of greater quality of, of the educational environment. Yeah, yeah. It's very, these things are very, very difficult to quantify, aren't they? Um, you know, you can't say, well, as a result of this, this is what happened. Um, we just got an SMS coming through. We'd like to get in contact with the guests in connection with the desk bags. Uh, is it the right thing to do to get in touch with you directly or get in, cu- with, in touch with the desk bag people? Or I'm wondering, you know, if there's a school out there who is in need, perhaps they should also get in touch. Give us a call, 0891 or pop us an SMS like this one, 34701, 34701. What do you think, Volker? Good idea to get in touch with you directly or what? Well, with yes. I mean, and obviously ask our colleagues to facilitate or help out as well. Um, uh, the Marsh Africa websites are on, on the net, um, and uh, my email address is there, falker.fonvillen at marsh.com, but there are many capable colleagues, Selma Kidd, so Selma, S-A-L-M-A dot Kidd, K-I-D-D at marsh.com. Um, uh, Errol Masinga is very important in our CSI environment. So we've got quite a few people who are part of this initiative, and we have a team that supports our, our work in this area. So we're very happy to respond and, and collaborate with people who are looking to, to make their inputs here. It was at selma.kid at marshafrica.com or just at marsh.com? No, 
Marsh.com, yeah. Okay, Marsh.com. So you are your global, you're a global company? Yes. Yeah, um, particularly here in Africa, if you've got a very big footprint here in Africa, and I'm wondering if yes, you know, yes. some similar thing is happening all across the continent. We have a, we have a global view on, on, on CSI, and we obviously respond in various ways. Uh, you know, uh, several years ago in the Indonesian um, uh, earthquake and, 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 and flood, we responded as a global organization to that. So we had all of our colleagues around the world making donations and things. So depending on what happens uh, globally, we also responded to things like Ebola and, and many things. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't be down at what we might call a tactical level at, at every school in every country that we are represented in. So we have eight, nine offices around Africa plus 20 plus associate relationship across African countries. But in each of those countries, we do have a relationship in each of those countries and we do play a, a community and a, and a socially responsible role. In South Africa, there's, there's a significant, um, you know, uh, emphasis in this environment. Um, and then we're very happy to play this role. And, and, and if we're a leading player in this area, we're very happy to, to at least participate. Yeah. Uh, but across Africa, we, we do similar things, but they're not necessarily as structured as, as this particular case, simply because of the local circumstances. Yeah, yeah. well, yes, I, we do have circumstances, but I'm sure we're not exclusively uh, you know, suffering with these difficulties in terms of our education systems. I'm sure that uh, some other countries elsewhere in Africa would have similar problems. It, just, I mean, we're, uh, we're talking about Sefer King Primary School, and obviously these children are very mm. young, but just looking at the nature, your core business, which is global insurance um, broking, and risk management organization. It's the sort of thing that people don't think, when I grow up, I want to be a global insurance broker or risk into risk management. Do, do you ever get, you know, when interns come to work at your organization, do people, what do people have to study to go into this sort of line of business? Um, yeah, your first point is, is mildly correct, but I, I, I answer with a smile on my face because once people are in this environment, they hardly ever leave. So, oh, really? um, I suppose we should keep it less of a secret. <laughs> um, the, the core, core knowledge sets are financial, so somewhere in the BCOM space or legal, uh, uh, LLB, and just general commercial skills because really what one's doing is trying to understand the insurance and risk needs of a business, a corporate and or parastatal and or anything like that, you know, where those needs are there. And then, you know, we also, the insurance extends to individuals. So you need to understand, you want to protect an individual's personal assets, their homes and those kinds of issues. So that, that sort of is the first entry point. Um, in the risk consulting teams, we, we have a, quite a high order of, of, of skill sets. We've got an order of 10, 12 chartered accountants. We've got, you know, two, three near actuaries. We've got a bunch of MBAs, um, lawyers and the like. And, and what we do there is we look at clients' risks um, quite, quite thoroughly and at, at a highly specialized level. We have probably some of the most experienced uh, fire risk engineers, you know, the OSH Act and all the other compliance areas very, very well. And we, we are effectively the rent risk manager for the number of days that are appropriate across all these in industries. So what happens in that space is, is the, we act as the resource base for specialized skills to the extent that it's appropriate for clients. And then it's, it's very, very stimulating and creative finding ways of solving risk-orientated problems mm. for clients because you're invariably adding value to their businesses. So... It's quite stimulating. Is it very competitive? It is. It is in the, in, in the risk advisory environment because much of it is price-driven. 
both from the insurance premium that one's um, trying to source at the best possible terms in the insurance market, and then the service fee is also normally scrutinized and, and uh, tested for, for its best possible price point. So you need to be innovative, differentiate, and also have a very strong you know, commercial proposition. We're talking about, you know, large corporates and, and businesses and industry and so on and so forth. But I just, the minute you said fire, I thought, oh, you know, these schools that you're going to, I don't know what their risks mm. are. I don't know what sort of insurance they have, if indeed they have any. Is that something that occurs to you as you, as you see disadvantaged schools in disadvantaged areas? I mean, do they have insurance? What, what sort of risks must they be living through every day? Um, absolutely, yes, on the question, and probably no on the answer, in the sense that um, insurance is, is number 21 on the agenda of, of items to spend money on. You know, it's the absolutely primary, you know, care and educational needs. Um, and if I was looking at a risk, it would be in the health space, in the clean water. Yes, sometimes fire, but there's not too many flammable issues around those, and there's not too many heat sources around there. Um, and, and unfortunately, the weather, you know, just rain and the elements and those kinds of things are things that I'd worry about. Um, so, yes, primary care, you know, basic hazards, those kinds of issues are really worrying. Yeah, I imagine it's something that maybe the school governing boards are, you know, something that they can put on their agenda, but I'm sure there are other sort of very many more pressing things to deal with. On the issue of pressing things, it was, I think it was late July that you donated all these desk bags to the Sevaking Primary School. What's next on your list? I mean, do you have sort of an annual agenda of project that you work towards? Yes, I mean, we we have um, in a countrywide um, you know, five-ish large regional centres. So it would be uh, Johannesburg, Pretoria, Nelspreet, Cape Town, Durban, and so forth, to Bloemfontein. Um, and in each of those areas, we, we, we commit the entire Mandela Day and around it to social initiatives and, and as far as possible, bring our, our neighbouring and smaller offices into those environments. And in planning for that, we will want to bring something to the table. So it will be in the, in the, the range of, of specific um, innovations like, uh, you know, the desk bag and, and things like that. Um, but it's not only once a year. So we'll be, we have a, a social initiative, you know, in the, the latter, the springtime. Uh, there'll be, uh, you know, some fundraisers and charity walks and donation initiatives around during the year. And, and we, we plan around that um, through the year so that we, you know, we keep a consistent, uh, these matters consistently on the agenda. But, yeah, that, that is the, the broader structure of the plan. Yeah. Yes, I imagine that you do have these very firmly on your agenda. So in terms of what next, you, you know, you, you plan each year as it comes and then decide what you're going to do and how much money you're going to um, divest to all these various organizations. Yes, we, we try and uh, be reasonably consistent. So if we are, are, are renovating a school, for example, we'll pick a couple of classrooms one year and we'll go and do a couple more classrooms next year and so forth. Um, and, and really make that stick and, and, and be engaged with that school and try and support it, as I say, with perhaps some financial management and then risk and insurance and other issues like that, uh, rather than being, a, you know, uh, just dancing around a little bit and only being in one place for a very small intervention for a short period of time. Um, just, just lastly, on the uh, on the desk bag, just coming back to that, you know, obviously it's something that you've you've invested in. Do you have any details, any contact details, if anybody would like to know more how to get hold of them directly? 
Um, they can try via us, but I, I only have our, uh, the the, the uh, desk bag in D's name, which is Madeleine Rocher, so M-A-D-E-L-A-I-N, and then Rocher, R-O-S-C-H-E-R. Um, and the company is Desk Bags, D-E-S-K Bags, or one word, and I'm sure that can be tracked on the next. Absolutely. What do they, what's the unit cost? Any idea? Uh, it's relatively small. It, I don't have the, 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 the name, uh, the number uh, directly at hand um, in, the, in the broad information. Obviously, the, the bigger the order, the slightly better the pricing. But um, it comes from recycled material. I don't think the primary inputs are that expensive. So, you know, I'd expect it to be fairly economic. Yeah. Super. Well, Volker, thank you very much. Very best of luck with all those things. And uh, maybe risk, uh, risk management is something that one needs to think about in terms of schools. But thank you very much for all the work that you're doing. Thanks for your time, too. Pleasure, and thanks for your time. Take care. Bye-bye. Volker von Bye. he's the MD of Marsh Risk Consulting, Marsh Africa. If you'd like to get a hold of them direct, well, I guess you could probably just check their website, which would be Marsh Africa. If you want to get hold, I think Selma.kid was the, was the lady that um, Volker mentioned there. That's Selma, S-E-L-M-A dot K-I-D-D at marsh.com, Selma.kid at marsh.com. And I don't think you'll have any trouble finding out about the desk bags. They sound like a wonderful initiative. Uh, Not only are they taking all those sort of uh, old billboards that are just clogging up the landfills, they're being turned them them into something that's reflective, that's useful, that's fun, and hopefully it's going to help those children who have no desks. So if you'd like to Google them, it's desk bags, desk bags bags and the lady making them is Madeleine Russia. Madeleine Russia. You're listening to the talk shop where we've got all sorts of things coming up. In the second hour of the programme we're going to be talking about workplace bullying. And if you thought that it was something that just happened in schools, well it's so not. It's happening in uh, not only in workplace but in, even in boardrooms. So we'll be chatting about that. We'll also be talking about biotechnology and productive forest plantations as a possible and its answer to our energy and material needs. So stay with us, we're going to take a quick break before the news.